afternoon. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm Susie Larson, and this is Live the Promise, and we are here to help you engage in a strong and active walk of faith. So glad you tuned in because today's guest is one of our absolute favorites. He's talked to us about sacred pathways, sacred marriage, and today he's here to talk with us about sacred parenting. In fact, he writes this, parenting is a school for spiritual formation, and our children are our teachers. Have you ever thought of that? The journey of caring for, rearing, training, and loving our children will profoundly alter us forever. Well, my guest today is Gary Thomas, and he joins me to celebrate his new book, Sacred Parenting, How Raising Children Shapes Our Souls. And before we get to him, a couple quick announcements. Uh, We are growing so wonderfully fast and we're so thrilled about that. We've got markets and FM signals and other places and we just want to give a shout out to friends who are brand new listening on those signals. So a shout out to you if you're brand new to the Faith Radio family listening in on 89.1 FM in Bismarck or 94.1 FM in Hartford, 93.1 FM Waterloo, 104.7 104.7 FM Madison, 90.7 FM or 97.5 FM in the Twin Cities are streaming online. Just love to tell you that if you're brand new to the Faith Radio family, email me. Let me know where you're listening from. Put new listener on the subject line. Write me at Susie at MyFaithRadio.com. If you include your mailing address, I'll draw a couple of names every week to just for our new listeners and send you a book off of our Faith Radio shelf. All right, let me tell you about my guest. We'll get him on the show. Gary Thomas is a writer in residence and member of the teaching team at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. He's the author of 18 books, including the best-selling Sacred Marriage. He and his wife, Lisa, have been married for more than 30 years. We always love having Gary with us. Hey, Gary, welcome back to the show. Hi, Susie. It's always great to be with you. Looking forward to talking about this. You've written another bestseller, I'm just telling you. We'll just wait and see, but I'm quite (laughs) sure. But before we get into the content there, I'd love to know if you've got a verse you've been thinking about these days. I do. When I'm thinking about parenting, this is one that um, I've followed through the years. It's from Malachi 2.15. And the question is this, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. And it's really God's call to say that his desire is for us to raise our kids, to love our kids with one aim, that they become followers of God. After all he's given us, our worship of him is giving our children back to him. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, I'd love for you to talk about how this book was first born in your heart, because truly God does a process in us before he does it through us. So speak to that if you would. Well, it was a follow-up to sacred marriage, which we've talked about a couple times before, how God uses marriage to shape us. It wasn't the how-to marriage book. It was how God uses marriage to shape us. Well, parenting is the same thing. Now, I think I went to marriage first because I got married ridiculously young. I was 22. My wife was almost 20. That's sort of a politically correct way of admitting she was actually 19, but she was almost 20. And and so we kind of grew up together, and marriage was difficult the first year, I think, because of that, a lot of the immaturity. But I've talked to others who they felt like it was when they started to have kids that they really felt themselves challenged, their their patience, their courage, dealing with fear, their understanding, their gentleness, all of those issues – And it's just this larger picture that God uses family life, whether it's our marriage that's really challenging us, our parenting, or either one or both at different seasons. I wanted to look at parenting. I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a family therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not giving people the five how tos of raising toddlers or teens or all of that. It really is about opening our eyes and hearts and our spiritual ears 
to how God is challenging us as we raise our kids. It's not just about us training our kids and teaching our kids, but God using our kids to teach us. Amen. You're right. The process of raising children requires skills that God alone possesses, and we are decidedly not God. So parenting reminds us of our humanity. Say more about that, Gary. Well, I felt so ill-equipped to be a dad. I was, I think, 25, maybe 26 when our first one came along. And I just, I wanted to be the best dad in the world. I so wanted to be a good dad. I wanted to hit it out of the park every day. And I finally had to admit, you know what? I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the patience. I don't have the understanding. I just don't have the basic knowledge. And it was just a frustration that I thought in some sense, Parenting asks more of me than I even possess, and the positive side of that is it casts me on a new dependence with God and a new dependence of God in a way that I'd never had to be dependent before because I, I wanted to do a good job with this parenting, but I knew I needed him first and foremost to even get a passing grade. Hmm. Well, I would love for you now looking back. How old are your kids, by the way? They're grown now, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The oldest is 30, then 25, and I think 27 in between. Yeah. So you're totally launched and empty nest and all that stuff. So talk about looking back now, how this journey has shaped you. Well, you know, it's interesting. When I first wrote this book, we, 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 we did a rewrite just very recently. It just came out. When I first wrote it, I was 41. And I remember mentioning then, I said to a bunch of my friends, and they all agreed, and maybe you said this to some of your friends, because I said, you know what, part of me wishes I could start parenting today. I I just feel like I have more sense of who I am, more understanding, I'm more settled in my career, I'd have more time and patience and whatnot. And if I could just start over, I think I could do a much better job. But when I was praying after that, I felt God challenging me, in part saying, Gary, what helped you become more experienced? and wiser, and more mature, with greater wisdom. I mean, it it was the process of raising kids. And it's really God's way of saying, I was growing two people, not just you and your son, or not just you and your daughter, not just you and your other daughter. I, I was growing all of you together, and I think so often as parents, we have this mistaken notion that we're supposed to have arrived, and so we just try to pull our kids up to our level. And for me, it was a much more freeing picture to realize we're all sinners in need of grace. God is refining all of us. God's using raising our kids to help us grow. God's using being parents to help our kids grow. And so all of that together is that essentially we're all trying to grow toward Jesus with God alone being the hero of our story. Hmm. What, what parts of your character, I mean, maybe this is too specific. Let me put it this way. How do you think you'd be different if you didn't have kids? What would you think Gary Thomas would be like if you didn't have the constant interruption, the heartbreak, the blessing, all the stuff that goes along with parenting our, our precious kids? Well, I think a couple things. I think especially as a younger man, I really had to learn gentleness. We had a hypersensitive daughter one of them, where I just had to learn if I didn't want to shut her down, I had to guard my tone, my volume, the speed of my words, the choice of my <laughs> words. She was so in tune and she so wanted to please me. Um, I, I, I had to be careful because uh, if she just sensed tension in my voice, it felt like a rebuke to her. And so you know, they're, they're just, God creates us with different personalities and, and a different sense of security. And so that really helped clue me into that I just need to be more aware of others. I, I think a second area was fear. Uh, I had no idea what fear is like 
until I had kids. Right. You know, as a single man, I would read the story of Joshua and Caleb going into the promised land, and they'd say, we can do it. We're big, you know, they're bigger than us, but God will be with us. And I thought, yeah, that's who I want to be. And when I read that same story as a dad with two daughters and a wife, and I realized the consequence of defeat over these big, strong guys would be they could have their way with my wife, and who knows what would happen to my daughters being enslaved and whatnot. All of a sudden, I'm not so sure I would be a Joshua and Caleb. I kind of think I might be one of the other ten spies saying, hey, let's, let's just count our cost. Here. Let's think about this a little bit more because I think in some ways parenting tempts us to be cowards. We, we care so much. The thought of losing them is so beyond horrific that it really does help us come to grips with something that I don't know I ever would have experienced in quite the same way if I'd never been a dad. How did you do that then, Gary? Especially you've got sons and daughters, and they so count on you. How did you uh, wrestle through the fear issue? Well, here's the challenge, because I don't think the Bible gives you five steps to deal with your fear. The Bible pretty much says don't let fear direct your steps. And it was almost this cosmic joke, because I remember when my wife and I were dating, she wanted to go to Mexico City for the summer for a short-term mission trip, which she did. And her dad was like, I just don't know about this. And all the college students were saying, yeah, we've got those parents that are overprotective, won't let their kids go serve God on a short-term mission trip. Well, then, of course, my daughter grows up, and she's convinced God's calling her to Kenya for four months. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I know her food issues. I know her unawareness. I know she's, how she couldn't protect. And then a son who I took to Johannesburg when he was 12 and then decided as a college student to go back to Johannesburg. So I knew how dangerous it can be, and I knew the crime rate, and yet he's convinced that God had called him back. God had given him a heart there, and he spent a summer there in a very poor area of the town with barbed wire all over the place because they were serving underprivileged kids. And it was like, I, I don't know that I slept fully, Susie, to be honest, until both of them were back. But the main thing was I let them go because I knew I can't hold you back because I don't want to face the pain of my fear. I have to learn to master my fear. I do believe God is calling you to this. It's a good heart behind what you're doing for both of them. And I just needed to let him go. But I can't say it was easy. It, it, was, it was brutal sometimes. Mm. Talking to Gary Thomas today, his book, Sacred Parenting, How Raising Children Shapes Our Souls. We've got three copies. You can email to get in on the drawing. Email livethepromise at myfaithradio.com. That's livethepromise at myfaithradio.com. Put sacred parenting in the subject line. Do remember that mailing address. When we come back, we'll talk more about raising our kids, how that changes us. If you've got questions, send them to my email, Susie at myfaithradio.com, and we will be back in a minute. is a tough 
thing, isn't it? But it's we're graced to do it. God is with us in it and through it. Really glad you tuned in today. I'm Susie Larson. This is Live the Promise, talking to Gary Thomas, best-selling author. This book we're talking about today is Sacred Parenting, How Raising Children Shapes Our Souls. It changes us from the inside out. I mean, it's where we learn sacrifice and humility and forgiveness and grace. And we've got three copies. Love for you to email to get in on the drawing. Just email livethepromise at myfaithradio.com. Put sacred parenting in the subject line and don't forget that mailing address. And so, Gary, you make a correlation between a parent's passion for God and a child's passion for God. Say more if you would. I, I just noticed this somewhat anecdotally, but I believe it's true. I noticed that really it's when I was seeking the Lord in, in earnestness, prayer and worship and Bible study, that my family just felt different and they seemed different. And it seemed to create more of a hunger for them. And when I look throughout all of Scripture, when Paul's talking to wives who have disbelieving husbands, when he's talking to young pastors like Timothy who's trying to reach other people, Paul's perspective is always our first call to influence others is to fall in love with God, to surrender our hearts to God, to fill our mind with Scripture, to be an example that we should be what we want our kids to be. And one of the things that led to sacred parenting that was so convicting was that while there are literally hundreds of how-to books on how to raise kids God's way, so to speak, I'm not talking about one particular book or one particular title, so please nobody think I'm I'm attacking one book. It's just the concept, how God wants us to raise our kids. Hundreds of books, but there are actually only a very few Bible verses that talk about how to raise our kids. And and that discrepancy, hundreds of books, a few verses, I I just kind of want to laugh at, to be honest, a little bit, that that maybe if if the how-to was so clear and so important, it seems to me God would have done a little bit more than a few verses. But the real how-to of the New Testament in particular is we influence others by being influenced by God. We model compassion. We model kindness. We model forgiveness. We model humility and our need for grace. And those things are what then make Christianity inviting and welcoming to our kids. It's, it's not like programming computers where you put in the right figures and you get the right results. I mean, they're free wills with free choices. But in general, the most influential thing we can do is to be authentic believers who understand grace, who love God, who revere his word, who surrender to the Holy Spirit. Well, we can't impart what we don't possess. And that's really, I I love that as a father and husband for you saying the family felt different because they're looking to you. And and as a caveat, and you, you kind of stated this here as well, many godly, passionate parents still experience heartbreak of kids who made their own choices. And just in case you're listening today, we want you to know that we just acknowledge that, yeah. that you do right yeah. and you don't just get right all the time, you know? Yeah, I've, I've seen some of the most godly parents that love their kids heroically, that were faithful in discipleship and training, and their hearts have been ripped in two. A story is never over. I never think a story is over. Uh, until this earth is done. But at this moment, they're living with a lot of pain. And and, and we get in later in that, Susie, I didn't know if you want to go there yet, but the whole Samuel syndrome about how you see in so many times 
some very wicked kings in the Old Testament who had amazingly godly children, and then some very godly kings who had wicked children. And I, I tell the story of Samuel, who's often faulted because his boys, of course, were terrible. They took bribes. They basically sold access to the temple. And I've seen some Christian authors challenge Samuel. Well, he was successful in ministry, but he blew it as a dad. And yet the Bible doesn't say Samuel blew it. It does say Eli, Samuel's, the, the yeah. person that Samuel succeeded, blew it. So I, I think if Samuel did, the Bible might have said it. And I think mm. it's God's way of saying sometimes kids rebel because parents don't question them, don't challenge them, don't discipline them. But sometimes you have a, one of the most godly men who ever lived and the boys that just decide to go a different path. And God is with us. You know, someone once said that having children is like having your heart walk around the outside of your body. And it's just so true. And speak to that, just the sense of vulnerability, especially when you launch them into their young adult years, because, uh, you know, I, I, that just is a whole different game. It really is where you're launching them. It almost sometimes feels like you're launching toddlers because you've got to watch them fall down and bump their head and, f- and get their legs under them. And that creates a whole new dependence, I would say, on the Lord as well. Well, it's sort of connected to the fear we talked about earlier. In fact, I would go back to conception. I mean, just the pregnancy, you know, you're always trying to keep aware of what's happening inside the body and every little movement or lack of movement or watch what you eat or don't get too excited. I mean, it's just just the thought, are you you going to keep the baby? And then then the child's born, you're worried about SIDS because they – when Lisa and I were having kids, they kept changing. Do you put your kids face down? Do you put your kids face up? Yeah. I mean, it's just all these different things. You want to do the right thing, and nobody's sure what it is. And then they become toddlers, and you have to fireproof the house. <laughs> and then a lot of moms have told me the terrifying moment is when a kid finally, a boy finally says, Mom, I don't want to go with you into the women's room. I want to go into the men's room at the mall. And you're thinking all the monsters behind that door. Is he really old enough? And then they become teenagers, and they can drive, and you – believe they're responsible, but are other drivers. And so life as a parent is about learning to let go, dealing with the terror, dealing with the pain. Um, you know, I, boy, I think, just think, I'll never forget the days. I can picture each day of watching our kids go off to their first day of college and they wouldn't be living with us. Uh, man, that was just a, a breaks of your heart. And if any parents coming up are doing that, I'm just saying, make sure you wear sunglasses. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You don't embarrass yourself. You don't embarrass your kids because you can't really control the emotion that you've lived with this child almost every day for 18, 19 years. And now they're leaving amongst all these kids. And are they prepared? And are they ready? And where's their heart? And are they going to be tempted? And and all of those things. Um, But It gives us a new dependence and trust in the Lord. God cares about our kids more than we do. God wants them to be disciples of him even more than we want them to be his disciples. And so what I love about sacred parenting is that we're not in parenting alone. God is our partner. He's the driving force. He can speak to our kids when we can't. He can convict our kids in ways that we can't. And so we have to learn to trust in God. And sometimes God takes a long view. We wish he would do it right now. But he's always at work. And that should give us a lot of peace. Boy, Gary, I thank you. What you've just spoken is healing balm to somebody listening today. We've got about three and a half minutes to the bottom, hard break at the bottom of the hour. Love to read this little excerpt and have you speak to it if you would. 
You're right. We live in the midst of holy teachers. Sometimes they spit up on themselves or on us. Sometimes they throw tantrums. Sometimes they cuddle us and kiss us and love us. In the good and the bad, they mold our hearts, shape our souls, and invite us to experience God in newer and deeper ways. Although we may shed many tears along this sacred journey of parenting, numerous blessings await us around every bend in the road. And that really goes for the the mom listening, the dad listening of little ones, and those launching, and those even marrying off their kids. Um, And so say just if you would, a, a word of encouragement because the danger is when all of our identity is tied up in our kids and then they launch I mean talk about falling face down how do you navigate that in the time in between so that there's a healthy balance there well I I think that's why we want to see ourselves growing and our relationship with God growing as a result of our kids the whole point about calling them tiny teachers is this while you want your kids to have manners and to look people in the eyes they shake hands and say yes ma'am no ma'am or thank you or whatever geographical era you're in and, and, and where, how you want your kids to, to behave, just keep your eyes and ears open. Lord, is this an issue of me being annoyed just because I don't like noise? Uh, am I being impatient? Are they really acting up? Or are they just being a kid and I need to have more patience? And is she too sensitive or am I too harsh and unfeeling? And just throughout the process of parenting so that you realize God is working on you as well. You're growing and becoming. It's a process. And then letting them go is just a part of that process. And it's, uh, it, it's a wonderful thing when it does happen. And maybe I'm a little bit sentimental because next week we have all of our kids plus my son's wife coming back for Thanksgiving. So mm-hmm. I'm always looking forward to that reunion. It's a little easier to talk about it now. The worst thing is, though, when they leave – it hurts just as much as the first time. Mm-hmm. You've been through this so many times, but an empty house still feels like an empty house, even if it's only been filled for a long holiday weekend. Mm, so true. What th- This might be an uncomfortable question. I don't mean it to, but I think you can handle it. What uh, do you... What- What trait, what have you developed in you that you actually like about yourself because of what you've walked through in parenting? How do you like yourself better as a result? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I, I like it better when you say what have I learned and and how I've I've messed up. (laughs) Um, I think... I think I did... I was able to model to my kids, and, and this might seem harsh to some, my kids didn't receive it that way, Look, I'm a Christian before I'm a husband. I'm a Christian before I'm a dad. I'm thinking of when they went away to college, and and it was just our goal that none of them had any college debt. And by God's grace, we were able to do that. And I said we would help you. If you're making responsible choices, we're going to help you get through college. But I did tell them, but hey, my money belongs to God, not me. And if you're not making wise choices, and if I don't think you're preparing for a life of following God, I've got to answer to him. And I can pull this offer back at any time. And and they got the notion that this is a family where, as far as your mom and dad are concerned, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We'll support you. We'll be with you. But the center of our life is what God has done. And I think all of our kids would know that. That's who we are. Mm. That's what we've done. That's where we've been. I appreciated it. Gary Thomas, title of his book, Sacred Parenting, How Raising Children Shapes Our Souls. Email if you want in on the drawing, live the promise at myfaithradio.com. Remember that mailing address, and we will be back in a minute.
having a really great day. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Susie Larson. This is of The Promise, talking to our good friend Gary Thomas, who's written a great book, Sacred Parenting, How Raising Children Shapes Our Souls. And you challenge us to ask ourselves this thought-provoking question, Gary, to what do we aspire for our children, their comfort or their character? Say more if you would. Well, it's... <sighs> It's easy to want the best life for our kids. I'll be honest. I was a coward in this sense. I wanted my daughters to have the easiest life possible. I, when they give childbirth, I want it to feel like they're giving birth to ice cream cones. Because um, <laughs> I wanted to have a lot of grandkids. I just hated to see them hurt. I hated to see their hearts broken. I hated to see them not succeed when I felt like they should have in a world that's not always fair. And yet when we look back at the reality of our own lives and in Scripture, God often uses broken hearts and sometimes broken bones and broken dreams to shape us, to mature us. I really had to care about their character more than their comfort. I had to care about their soul and their connection with God and their dependence on God. And maybe a broken heart helps them reexamine their priorities with God and helps them and their failure helps them to learn on God's grace and be more dependent on God. And and all of those things, it was just difficult. It's so easy to focus on comfort. I want you to succeed. I want you to do this and that. And I, I don't want you to have to have hurt. Because, frankly, it's more, I think it's more painful for a parent to watch their kid hurt mm-hmm. than for the kid to hurt. If they have a broken heart, the kid will never believe that. But I've heard it said, I'm not sure this is completely true, but I think there's a whole element of truth in it, that a parent can only be as happy as their least happy child. Uh, I, I think in Christianity we get a little bit lifted above that, but there is a lot of painful truth to that I think any parent could attest to. Mm-hmm. Well, what about, you know, talk about our willingness to see our children struggle without rescuing them prematurely. I mean, the kind of grit and restraint it takes to let them wrestle through and how to know when to intervene. I mean, give us your perspective on that. Well, I was humbled by this because I had a daughter who I think it was junior high. Maybe early high, but I, I think she was even younger at junior high, where there's an issue in her church youth group that just really needed to be addressed. And I, so I naturally thought, well, look, I, I, I can talk to him, at the, the leader, and she goes, no, Dad, I really need to do this. And she just sighed and went in and did it, and I just thought, well, she just blew me away. You know, I didn't <laughs> see her somebody who could go and, and do that and have such an adult conversation in an appropriate way. But she just kind of not intending to put me in my place, but but did, in fact, with her maturity. And it, I, I think the challenge for me, Susie, is particularly like with my last born, you start to view them as the baby of the family and you forget they grow up. And I think even year by year by year, I, when my youngest daughter turned 12, I had a speaking engagement out in Southern California, so we went to Disneyland together with her best friend to sort of celebrate her birthday, and I suggested one of the rides, and they looked at me like I was crazy. Well, 18 months before, that ride would have made them thrilled, but now, oh, Dad, we're so past that. I mean, it's just they grow up so fast. If we don't stay so connected, we lose touch with how God is developing them, and God made my youngest daughter a very strong leader. And it was a challenge for me to, okay, she's not the baby of the family. She's a leader. In fact, when my, my son was 
captain of the cross-country team, and then my daughter was just a sophomore that time. So at the end of the year, my son is graduating, and the coach came to her before the start of her junior season and said, all right, Kelsey, this is your team. She says, what are you talking about? He goes, look at the senior class. There's nobody that's going to step up. You can be the captain here. And I never looked at Kelsey that way. Uh, she was the younger sister and, and whatnot, but the coach saw those leadership qualities in her, and it was my blindness where I look back and say, boy, I, I, I just was blinded to that, that, um, that he saw that, and I needed to release her to become the woman that God has created her to be. Okay, talk about, talk to that parent, I should say, who maybe doesn't have that kind of a scenario going on. Maybe they're struggling with friends at school. Maybe they're being bullied. Maybe they are teens, they have a job with an impossible boss. I mean, I'm just throwing out a few of these scenarios that are excruciating and they and they feel like their kids are, it's affecting them. How do they know what to let go, what, when to intervene? Yeah, this is where I start to feel weak. Susie, because I mentioned I'm not the counselor and, I, and I'm not the therapist, but if I'm talking as a pastor, if, I, if I'm just dealing with it spiritually, I, I'm trying to lead my kids toward uh, dependence on God. What does this mean about your relationship with the Lord? Drawing on his grace, learning to depend on God, learning to forgive. If you have to forgive, I mean, forgiveness isn't just learned when we get married. It's learned when you have to deal with them. And, and I would always say with my kids when they would squabble or whatnot. I said, you know what? Learning to live with an imperfect brother or sister is great training to learn how to live with an imperfect husband or wife. And so learn these lessons now and your life will be a whole lot better when you get married. And I think it's the same thing just out of the work world. Once they leave home and they're working, they're going to face some of those issues, unfair bosses, unfair coworkers or whatnot. And we have that brief slice of time where we can kind of help them walk through it and say, well, this is how I dealt with this, or this is how I dealt with that. But I, I will be honest, those are the kind of questions where I felt weakest as a dad. I, I never had that just that right thing to say uh, that I wish I had that you see the TV dads often having. I, I'm the kind of guy as a writer, I need days to mull something over, mm-hmm. and then I revise it, and then I get it right. Well, that doesn't work so well with parenting. Yeah, it is such a challenge. You know, talking about bullying, that's a whole different thing because it's so completely destructive. Um, but to be involved and to know when to intervene, and I guess that's when you talk to pastors, that's when you seek wisdom, that's when you pray, and you go with the peace of God in your heart. Okay, let's talk about this. You said raising children teaches us to deal with guilt. Talk about that. <laughs> well, that goes back to the fact that I never felt like I had all that it took to be a parent. I didn't have the wisdom. I didn't have the patience. I didn't feel like I had the character. And then I didn't have the time. I was self-employed, and I was trying to – my wife stayed home with the kids. I was the only one bringing revenue in, and I'm an extreme morning person. I'm usually up at 4.30, 4.45, and so I get tired late at night, and and so I'm not the best at bedtime and and whatnot. And so – but it was just learning that for one sense, I think I was trying to be a messiah to my kids instead of a messenger – I was trying to love them as only God can love them, and God led me to the point where I realized I can't be God to them, but I can be John the Baptist to them. I can say, hey, kids, there's Jesus. Follow him. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals, but, man, look at him. Look at how he has everything that I don't. And and parenting changed for me the day I realized I'm a messenger, not the Messiah. The job of Messiah has been filled very well. I don't have to step in. It's more about just being a messenger pointing my kids 
to Christ. When you talk about the guilt thing, especially when you're done, basically, and you've launched them, there's certain things you can't undo. I mean, every parent wishes they could go back and have a do-over in some way, shape, or form. How do you deal with the regret or, you know, the sense of that, that guilt that could plague you? How do you reconcile that? I'm just thinking of the person listening today going, it's hard for me to get out from underneath that, especially if your child has made free will choices and the enemy's drawing a line from those choices to your humanity as a parent. You know what I found in college ministry, just as a college pastor, I'm not now, but when I was, if if parents understood, even with college-age children, how far an apology could go, and kids are predisposed to, to want their parents to, to be there for them, but if we weren't in certain ways, if we just say, look, I wish I could have done better for you, instead of defending ourselves, instead of trying to explain it away, instead of saying, I think you're too sensitive – if they can just hear us say, you know what, I wish I had a mulligan on that one. I, I wish I had a do-over. I, looking back, I think I could have handled that better. I, I think that just goes so far with our kids, and they're more inclined to extend grace. I'm amazed at the things I see kids forgiving their parents for. And I, I think just the simple words, I'm sorry can be so healing later on in life. Mm-hmm. We have a chapter titled Vicious Vulnerability, How Parenting Confronts Cowardice and Builds Courage. That's a boatload. Talk more about that. <laughs> well, it's learning to have the strength to let ourselves watch our kids hurt. If we, often when we want to protect our kids, it's because we don't want to deal with the fear, we don't want to deal with the threat, and we don't want to deal the pain with the pain of them being hurt. So we act like we're protecting our kids, and I wonder spiritually if no, actually we're really just protecting ourselves. And that stunts their maturity, it stunts their own walk with God, it, it stunts their own personal growth. And so we, we have to accept the fact that to be a parent, is to be vulnerable. Look, women know this from the very start. A, a pregnant woman has a date with destiny coming up. There's only one solution. No, that baby eventually has to come out, and, and it's not going to be fun. And, and I always just thought of that with my wife, that just how her life is kind of centered around that and, and when we can go on vacations and where we have to be. And, but that vulnerability doesn't end with the birth. That's just the beginning, that same vulnerability in a different way, emotionally and spiritually will be carried throughout our lives. And, you know, let's talk just for a moment before we take our last break about the need to walk in God's love. You know, we talked about the beginning. You can't impart what you don't possess. But unless we wrestle some of our own uh, healing with God, you know, and, and really grab hold of the truth for ourselves, we will try to live vicariously through our kids, and they make horrible idols. So we can't, you know, what we try to do is to get them achieve where we failed or to get them accomplish what we always oh, wanted amen, to. Amen. Yes. Amen. Speak to that. The worst thing we can try to do is, is to is to raise our kids for our own purposes. We've got to release them to what God wants them to be. You know, that Malachi 2.15, God says he wants godly offspring, and realizing they may have different roles than us. Um, a lot of people ask, Gary, is your son going into ministry? Is he going to become a writer or whatnot? Because that's, that's what I've been. And my son had a conversation with me in college. He says, Dad, I've, I've seen how you've lived out your faith as a father and a husband. And he said, he was just very kind. He goes, I think he knocked it out of the park. I think he gave me a great example. I want to see how my faith is lived out in the business world. And he's now doing an MBA. 
and and God has opened up doors for him that I I couldn't even imagine. I can't understand half his vocabulary when he talks business. And, And so it's just releasing our kids to say, let them be who God created them to be, watch, and, and don't limit them to what your expectations are. We don't own them, and they're not there to validate us by their behavior, their maturity. They're there to be launched in God to do what God created them to do. And, you know, we can't do that even instinctively, joyfully, and freely without dealing with some of our stuff with God. I mean, truly, because someone could hear that and go, I know that in my head, and I could even parrot that answer, but I'm all up in knots inside. And that's why I think the good news about this is that God is with us and he invites us in the healing process. So if parenting makes this stuff surface, instead of dumbing or numbing it down or shoving it down, deal with it so that we can go from strength to strength, you know? It's the whole message of the book. You just caught it right there, Susie. It's really... Open up your spiritual ears to the transforming impact of being a parent, how God's checking your vulnerability, checking your fears, checking all of those other things, checking your motivation, checking your pride, checking your sense of security and and your ability to forgive yourself and to move on. Um, You know, it's that's what parenting does. It just puts a spotlight on those weaknesses. And God only puts a spotlight to heal and to redeem, never to condemn. Hmm. God only puts the spotlight to heal and redeem, never to condemn. Talking to Gary Thomas, his book is titled Sacred Parenting, How Raising Children Shapes Our Souls. I would love to get a copy into your hands. Email to get in on the drawing, live the promise at myfaithradio.com. Put sacred parenting in the subject line. And please remember that mailing address and we'll be back in a minute. having a really great day. Thanks for tuning in. I'm talking to Gary Thomas today about his book, Sacred Parenting. I'm Susie Larson. This is Of The Promise. Got three copies. Would love to get your name in the drawing. Just email me, livethepromise at myfaithradio.com. Put sacred parenting in that subject line. And remember, your mailing address. We're just about ready to wrap here. About 10 minutes left of this interview. You've got a chapter, Gary, titled A Very a very boring chapter in the Bible that can change your life forever, how raising children teaches us what really matters in life. Tell me more about that, and even if you've got a story from your own uh, parenting journey. Yeah. Well, it goes back to Genesis 5. The Bible is just rolling along, so much excitement, so many things are happening. And then all of a sudden you get to Genesis chapter 5, where there's this list of names. So-and-so lived, had sons and daughters, lived so many years, and then died and got out of the way. And we don't know anything about these men. We don't know if they were happily married, if they were farmers, if they raised livestock, if they were business kind of people, if they had hobbies. All we know is that they lived, died, and got out of the way. And that is such a shockingly honest picture of the human condition. Very few people can even tell you the name of their great-great-great-grandparents. And so the question is, what makes us think we can will be remembered by our great-great-great-grandchildren. Why why is that any different? And so we see that so much of what we live for is just passing away. And there's one book I wish I would have read, to be honest, in this vein, when I was a 
younger parent. It's called Your Sacred Yes. Oh. You might have heard of the author, <laughs> Larson, because it's really telling parents to be ruthless. What matters most? And I think Genesis 5 says relationships should be at the very top of the list because all these other things, they're not going to be remembered. Uh, I think one of my favorite Christian authors is Elton Trueblood, who died in the 1980s, and I checked, virtually all of his books are out of print. He was wiser than I am, I'm sure godlier, a, a better writer, a philosopher, much smarter, and now those books have passed away. And so all these books that I get, all of these ego strokes for and everything now, I, I, I'm a fool to think that they're going to last much longer. Somebody's like that didn't. And when I ask people, well, who was governor of California in 1930? People can't even remember that. And I'll talk about my Chester Arthur philosophy of life. And they don't realize that Chester Arthur was actually a United States president. We we think of presidents as so larger than life. Everybody knows them. They'll always be remembered. Well, eventually they become names in a list that nobody knows anything about them. But here's the thing. I may not have my great-great-great-grandkids know me while they're alive. But if I pass down true faith to my kids and say, here's what our family does, we raise godly offspring, we pass down faith as of first importance, then they're more likely to raise kids who have that same view, and they're more likely to have kids who have the same view, so that I will get to spend eternity with my great-great-grandparents, and that will be a kick. Because I've emphasized faith over how big a house is or what kind of job I have or trying to get some memory in a time that passes away. Instead of saying faith is what matters most, that's my best chance to be known by my great-great-grandkids by a first face introduction. I don't even think that's a phrase, but I think people know what I mean. A face-to-face introduction when we're walking in heaven together. But that means, Susie, again, going back to your sacred yes, what I loved about your book is I realized how important it is to say no if you're going to adopt those attitudes and practices. I should have been more ruthless than I was. I Mm. said yes way too often. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for that. I'm honored, humbled, truly. If I could read this excerpt from this particular chapter, a very boring chapter in the Bible, I'd love to have you comment. It's just awesome. You said, sacred parenting calls us to focus our brief lives on what will create the most impact for future generations. We will soon be forgotten on earth, but we'll be remembered in heaven. Let us humbly accept this fact and then embrace the sacred trust of children that God bestows on us. We must reprioritize our life according to our own relative insignificance. Hear that again. We must reprioritize our lives according to our own relative insignificance. Finally learning to think as God thinks generationally. Love that. We are born, die, and then get out of the way. But those who hold parenting as a sacred journey and treat it accordingly will leave behind something wonderful and lasting. I have goosebumps just reading that. It's so powerful. I mean, it just tilts our chin upright. But I mean, would it be wise even for a couple to sit down and say, okay, let's talk generationally and, and get a cast a vision and so that they can line up their lives with those values? Absolutely. I, I think it's essential that we do that because the reality is if we're running, if our kids are running till 9 p.m. at night and then have two hours of homework they they can't be followers of Jesus. We're, we're letting them live schedules that literally has no time 
for God. To, 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 to excel at club soccer when less than 1% of them are going to make a living out of that. But it seems so important because they're invited to be on the club team. Look, I'm not down necessarily on club soccer. It's that there are a hundred things like that. And then in our own lives that we want to get this or that or we think that matters. And, and for me, and I know this is a countercultural because we always have the books about embrace your significance. Historically, I'm not significant, not to this world preciously loved by God, and I hope I will be honored by my descendants, but the way I'll be honored is if I pass on a faith so that we can walk together in heaven. So it's just giving up on trying to matter in this world and focusing on the things that really matter, which I believe God's priorities are relationships and faith. Mm, So beautiful. Has launching your kids been different for your wife, Lisa, than you? I mean, have have you guys dealt with um, struggles differently? I'd just love to know how how it's felt for her and how it's felt for you. You know, it's it's interesting because you go through different seasons with each kid. And we've had some where we're just so on our knees before God. Lord, please, you know, help, help in this situation. And then we've had some where we're a conversation with one kid and we just are, we're both in tears because they're doing so well. They're talking about God. God is in the center of life. And we're just like, oh, and, and, and this is what I would say to the parents who are still raising their kids, Susie, and, and it's, your happiness when you're my age, talking to the younger parents, your happiness when my age will be largely influenced, almost primarily influenced by where your kids are with the Lord. Yeah more than their occupation, more than their financial status, if they are people loving God and serving God, and you know they're worshiping God, the joy will be unparalleled. If they're succeeding in this world and living a life of rebellion, breaking hearts, living destructive lives, your heart will be broken. And yet so often in parenting, we focus on getting them into the right schools to get the right jobs, to get the right you know, occupations and whatnot. And I just say, you know what, that's not what's going to make you proud when you're later. If your son or daughter is knocking it out of the park vocationally and bankrupt spiritually, you'll have a broken heart. So what are you going to emphasize now for your own happiness then? Wow, I think somebody needed to hear that today. That's just profound wisdom. Um, One last question for you before we get ready to wrap and pray. If you could have your way and the sky would be the limit with this book, what would you want to see happen in the lives and the hearts of parents, uh, from parents to to infants and toddlers all the way to those with launched children? Well, I'd love to see groups together in churches that are encouraged and that have their eyes and ears opened up to what God is doing in their hearts so that they're becoming different people. Because I believe if you raise children with your eyes wide open to God, that then when you're done and you're an empty nester like my wife and I are, you're that much more equipped to lead a church, to encourage a business, to lead in a sports league, to be involved in a community arts center, because you've developed more patience and humility and courage and all the things that parenting has done. You become a different person. I believe you become a better person. I believe you become a person more available to be used by God. So let your kids raise you so that this is so key. When your kids leave the house Part of your ministry is just beginning. It's the end of one era, but God has equipped you to have an impact like you've never had before. God isn't done with you when your kids move out. He's equipped you to do something that you've never done before, to have more time, but with a wiser, uh, more seasoned soul willing 
God's work in this world. Gary, I just love it every single time that you come on. I just thank you so very much. And as as we get ready to pray, I'm wondering if you pray for that person that you were just speaking to is just sort of wondering about what next. And uh, maybe things haven't turned out exactly the way they hoped. Would you pray for that person? Yes. Father, I just pray that you would wrap around your arms around every parent there. Let them know that it's not just about us, that you don't let any parent parent alone that you look at those children with the same passionate love that you have been drawing people back to you or to you for the first time that's that's what you do let them put their hope in you let them find their joy in you let them find their peace in you Lord, we trust in you i just pray that each parent would know how involved how active and how real you are for every parent you've trusted your children to us we want to give them back to you. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Amen. We appreciate you so much, Gary. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Susie. Your good friend, Gary Thomas, everybody. Title of his book, Sacred Parenting. Wow, so much to soak in. What a powerful hour. You've been listening to Live the Promise. I'm Susie Larson. Hey, in just a bit, you'll find a podcast of today's program up on our website at myfaithradio.com. And remember this, the Lord wants you to last long and finish strong. He is the one who will keep you strong to the end. So you have a great day. Keep trusting him. We'll meet you back here next time.